COVID's here, but it's going to be gone. It's going to change. There have been other world issues. This business, if, if, if you like that feeling when the hair on the back of your neck stands up because you've surprised somebody, if you like that feeling when you've, when you've surprised someone with something that just blew them away, if, if, you, if, that, if that's what gets you up in the morning, you know, if, you, if you're a naturally guest service-oriented manager and you're passionate about teaching other people, then nothing's changed. Welcome to Truth Behind Travel Podcast, the world's first podcast dedicated to travel recovery. I'm Dolores Semeraro, and I'm on a mission to help tourism organizations and travel professionals to lead a business that restores confidence in travel. If you're looking for a travel podcast that gives you more than just wanderlust and will help you travel better tomorrow, you've found the right one. Every week, my travel and tourism industry guests will share with you their stories and insights to help you travel smarter, better, and more conscious of the impact you have when you travel. Subscribe to the show to receive a new episode every Thursday straight to your inbox, together with travel tips and best practices of my podcast guests. Hello there. Before we start, I want to tell you a secret. So get a little closer. I have traveled. Yes, I did it! After nearly 24 months of grounded life, I took it to the skies and traveled again. And you know what? All that I expected the travel hassles to be weren't actually there. So I want to tell you all that has happened on the next podcast episode. Stick around or subscribe to the show so you don't miss the next big one. I will tell you all you need to know if you're thinking to travel again. Now, Let's talk about today's episode. What a chat. So let's set the tone. If you're working in hospitality management and you're struggling to hire the right people back in the tourism industry, if you have no idea how to get started as a new manager in this industry today, or simply you just want to know what's going on in Thailand this month, And I tell you, some very big things are happening because you've been dreaming to go there since forever. Well, don't go anywhere else now. Stay here. This episode is for you. My guest today is James Francis McManaman, the third general manager of Poppy's Resort and president of Skull International Samui on the beautiful island of Koh Samui, Thailand. James is an experienced hotelier and hospitality professional. He worked in different countries and pretty much dedicated his entire life to hospitality. Most importantly, James embodies how industry operators can lead with compassion, humanity, and vision, and care for the people of the industry rather than the industry of the people. So, if you get me, let's hear it directly from him. Welcome, James. Thank you for taking the time to join me on the podcast today. Thank you, Dolores. It's great to be here. So how long have you been there and what took you to Thailand? I mean, tell us a little bit about you. Uh, thanks, Dolores. No, it's my second time to Koh Samui. My second time as general manager of this beautiful little boutique resort called Poppies. I was here in 95, believe it or not, as the first general manager after five years in Bangkok. This time we've been back in Thailand for eight years. Uh, five years here on Samui at, and myself at Poppy's. And boy, has it changed. I mean, the nice thing about where I am is Poppy's hasn't changed. The island's grown around it, but it's this little respite, you know, on this gorgeous island. 
And what made you move to Thailand for your hospitality career? I mean, you've worked very much. Um, you have a very a diverse background, ranging from uh, tourism, travel, and now in hospitality. And you've been in Thailand a few years now. So what took you there? Well, the first time in the 90s, I was in South Africa opening the Palace of the Lost City on a one-year contract. This is just as apartheid was coming to a head. So it was quite an interesting time. And rather than renew, it's when Asia was booming in the early 90s. I went on holiday for the first time to Hong Kong and Singapore and met an executive search consultant who was staying with us at the palace who said, James, you really ought to think about the club industry. So out of Hong Kong, a company called Club Corporation of Asia was looking for GMs. And so while on vacation, I met with them and they said, James, you could do Kuala Lumpur or you could do Bangkok. Now, this is the 90s, so there's no internet, right? So straight to the bookstore I ran and got the Fedor's book on both. And Bangkok just sounded like a lot more fun. So I took the assignment in Bangkok. We spent five years. I operated, opened and operated three clubs in Bangkok. And that was a really fast-growing, busy company. And my partner's a journalist, and he was coming to this little, idyllic, teeny-weeny boutique property on Samui. And I said, I'm coming with you because he was going to write a story about its opening. I said, I'm going to come with you for the weekend. And I just clicked with the owners. They're two wonderful couples, completely passionate, put their heart and soul into the property. And that's how we first got to Thailand. And then you never left after what? I mean, you, no, you left and then you came back. After just a year on Samui, because in the 90s, this is 95 now, it was very quiet. <clears throat> and David couldn't really find a full-time position. And uh, I joined another company in Hong Kong that uh, was opening private clubs as well as unique concept restaurants. And so I joined them and did another five years with them in both Jakarta and then Manila. And then uh, after that, it was a total of 10 years. Um, we owned a home back in America and it was just, it just was time to go back. That's when the currency crisis now is happening in the late nineties. So we went back to the States and um, we opened up our own art business after five years in the hospitality business. And And we couldn't really scale it, and I was just getting a little antsy, and we knew after being in four other countries, we would only come back to Thailand. You know, it's never been colonialized. It's a Buddhist country. There's so many wonderful things about the culture here. A couple LinkedIn threads later, and we were back. I came back to, to Hua Hin for a Bangkok company, uh, developing and opening a private country club called The Ocean in, in Thai, it's Mahasamut. But that got put on hold and Poppy said, James, we hear you're back. Why don't you come talk to us? So that's how I got back to Poppy's. Okay. So it's almost like Thailand kept on calling you back. Exactly. It's almost, it's fascinating, I think, for those working in hospitality, um, especially hotel-based with that passion for genuine you know, being at service of, of the tourists, of others, you know, of travelers, to really put their life at play and really embrace a life lived abroad, pretty much. I personally lived abroad. I'm originally Italian, but I've lived for the past 20 years away from mm. Italy and worked as well in hospitality, travel, in tourism. So it's, I, I take it, it's a, it takes a lot of courage to... Away, to get away from the comfort of your hometown, of, of your home country, settle in somewhere completely new, learning a new culture, getting getting used to it also, and, and, and work with people that are coming from all kinds of backgrounds. 
how did you cope with the with that change, with that challenge in a way when you first moved to Thailand and then later on when you decided to go back? I can pack a house up in three days. I mean, just just the culture, learning the cuisine, you know, exploring things the, the tourists don't know. It's amazing. I've loved every moment of every trip we've ever taken. And, you know, we didn't really plan it. We just kind of went organically and believed you know, you know, of course, we made a decision to or not to go, but I, I have absolutely no regrets. I'll tell you a funny story. When we first went to South Africa, it was a massive opening of a six-star property. And there were people from all over the world that came to, to work at this hotel. And we'd sit down every week, the team, the management team, and to learn each other's culture, we would talk about what is religion in your culture? What, did, what is love? You know, what is death? And we learned so much about not just us foreigners coming in from Italy and from the Netherlands and, of course, America and others, but also um, we learned how we would work well together. It was, a, it was my introduction to being an expatriate, and it was really, it was really the foundation of, of being open and, and remaining teachable around new cultures, understanding where they're coming from by asking those kinds of probing questions. So I was so excited to come back to Thailand. I just, it's just fabulous. And the experience of the pre-opening office, you know, big pre-opening, big team uh, in a challenging area that you were telling me about uh, last time when we spoke. But in this case, also in Thailand with an operating a five-star boutique resort. So all sort of sort of level of, of hospitality management. What do you think? have we learned over the past few months as hoteliers? Because I know that there are a lot of hoteliers listening to the podcast on a regular basis and they have gone through tough times, but also some of them have gone through a complete pivot. For example, they have changed or they've scaled, they've got promoted, somebody else got demoted. <laughs> there are many, many scenarios, but in your opinion, what are the silver linings of the past few months? What have we learned? I think some of them have been organic and some of them have been fairly thought out or forced. The organic bit for me, and I'm a leader in our local community of, of a skull club and the president of skull. It is um, amazing how the communities and the different organizations that would support each other, but didn't really collaborate are completely collaborating. They're sharing information on average rate occupancy, hiring policies, what are you going to do in this new normal from an HR perspective, et cetera. So that's the, that's the thing that kind of happened organically. And it's just such a, it's, I'm so grateful to be leading a club and, uh, and finding it so easy to work with other groups. And some of them are governmental groups. Others are private clubs like myself. And that's, that's the big thing. I think that's, that's going to have the longest results because those relationships we're forming now that again were organic are going to last. I also think another thing is people have taken our earth for granted, particularly on a beautiful island like this. You know, the turtles are coming back. The the fruits are blooming and and and, and they're so much more robust this season. There's so much about recycling, ecotourism, you know, people are talking about those things. Before it was kind of a niche you know, to be an eco property. And now everyone's talking about no plastic. Everyone's talking about recycling, organics, using local farming. It's that this has happened because we've had time to address it. And we realize we were, it's a missed opportunity if we don't. So I think that's a very big positive. 
And also, I think we're going to see a real shift in the way we hire people. I think we realized that we were all quite comfortable with the manning guides that we had, the number of people at the front desk, etc. But now we're learning that we need to train, cross-train people to be more efficient, more effective. And that, only, that not only helps the bottom line, but it gives our staff the, the opportunity to learn more and our guests more of an opportunity to, to interact with our guests, with our staff. So there's, it's a win-win. So there's been a lot of things, and they keep creeping up. You know, the longer we're in this, the more, more we see the positive parts. And if we focus on those, I think it, it helps us get through it. So collaboration, a spirit of collaboration that perhaps wasn't quite exploited before. It wasn't um, on the table. And also uh, relooking at the way we utilize the workforce within hospitality in that case. So you mentioned cross-training. But you also said as a president of SCAL Kosamui that you've, you've noticed this sort of synergy that wasn't quite there before. And especially in hospitality, in many cases, a lot of companies come together, not in the spirit of collaboration, but in the spirit of competition, because there's so much of the same. There's so much choice for, for travelers, right? Especially in the spectrum of the luxury travel five-star segment and when it comes to beautiful destinations like Thailand, for example. So over the past few months, the destination has worked towards reopening borders and reopening safely and actively campaigning towards restoring that trust in travel. But my question to you is, have we done the same job at rebuilding that trust, not in the travelers, but in the workforce that has been probably let down over the past few months in many cases? What do you think? Well, I think I've learned and focused more on it in the last three months as we prepare to start thinking about bringing people back to work. You know, we, myself, like, like most everyone throughout the world, but certainly here in Thailand and most certainly here on Koh Samui, we had to let some people go. And Thai labor law is very, very, you know, pro-employee. And it was, it was great for them because, you know, we just couldn't keep them. And so they received their severance pay and they were able to go start a coffee shop or start to grow mango in, with their family's land up, you know, in their village. So they would travel four or five hours back home where they were born. So those people, there are some superstars that I would love to have come back and to build the trust and, and get them to want to come back. I first have to learn how's the mango farm going? Is it going well? I mean, is you going to keep this going? How's the coffee shop? Another, another one of my wonderful employees is cooking banana bread and selling it. So my, my recent three months has been about reaching out to those people and finding out how they're doing, not waiting until we need them, but just keeping the, the line of communication open because it would be really short-sighted of me to not have those superstars come back. I think what's going to happen, Dolores, is that a lot of those folks won't come back, not just the five or six I'm speaking of for me, but thousands and thousands. And so we're going to have to be open, have open eyes and look at people deeply. And do they have a natural, do they have a natural sense of guest service? You know, can we train them? Are we willing to train them? So I think, I think that the building of trust is twofold. One is with the folks we already know we want to get them back. And secondly, it's what do people say about our place as a place to work? 
Do we have a good reputation? Do our staff say positive things? Did we treat them well? Does it feel like a family environment? So I think we're going to be sowing what we've reaped. You know, I think I think we have to look at that. And, you know, what are our you know, what is our human resources policies? Do we do enough staff parties and enough games on the beach? And, you know, those motivational things that that keep the morale up because it's a tough business. It's fun and it's exciting. And no two days are the same, but you work hard. And so we want people to believe in us and trust in us and come back. And it, it's just going to take a little extra effort to reach, I think, to reach out in advance of bringing them back. I can see how some of the travelers we attract might not just be the right one for our tourism business. So how can we reconnect with our true audience? In my career, I've been a hospitality communicator for the past 15 years. I know what it means when your audience is not responding to your message. So I know the pain of many independent tourism operators and what they're going through. I want to share with you the six reasons why a tourism and hospitality brand message fails to reconnect with their desiring audience and how to avoid it. All you need to do is to download the free four steps travel recovery video training that I designed for those just like you struggling to reconnect with their travel audience. The link is in the show notes. Now back to the show. I like that you said that we need to rebuild that trust by call in both ways, by calling them back in, but also by being ready to let them go because maybe they don't want to come back and maybe they are ready for their next step or they're ready for their next stage of life. And mm. I wonder how many of these former employees and then go on and be become entrepreneurs and, and become local vendors are then used and, you know, in collaboration or in partnership and they become clients, commercial partners of the resorts where they used to work in a way. So I would love to see that sort of circular approach in this type of, you know, envisioning the future of hospitality. If you're letting somebody go, of course, if, if the team is not coming back, but when the team is coming back, and as you mentioned, you invest in cross-training them. What do you think as, as a general manager are the challenges of cross-training teams? Because It is a great and very noble strategy, but I wonder if it's actually doable. So can you actually put an accountant at the front desk? Can you actually put a waiter in, in finance or in housekeeping or somewhere else? So how does that work? Is that, is that as easy as it sounds? All of this is uncharted waters. And so it means to really think carefully to get opinions from people, to find out best practices, because everyone's going through this right now at the same time. I think there are some limitations. I think guest service to guest service, doable. Accounting to guest service, you know, face-to-face, -face, a little more challenging. For example, the folks I bring back to work at the front desk will be cross-trained to be a server in the restaurant. So day one, they could be in the restaurant, day two at the front desk. And I think that's doable. They, they, they're not, you know, accounting is a different thing, but, um, you know, a purchasing person could be in accounting, right. And receiving, you know, those, so back of house, I guess is the way to say it will probably remain back of house, but cross-trained in back of house areas. Whereas front of house, I think can be cross-trained at different stations. 
Because the verbiage is the same. The guests are, you know, the yes, we can. The attitude is the same. Um, taking an order is a little bit different than checking someone in, but not that much. You know, not that much. It's totally teachable. And I really believe, particularly in Thailand, if you make it fun, if you go in, you know, and you get people excited and you say, we're going to, it's going to be amazing and have, you know, music and have a plan and have a wonderful training program and make it exciting and get them involved. It's, it's fun. It's a renaissance. And we have to get, we have to, you know, we're as leaders, we have to build this excitement. We have to want them to go home to their family and say, oh my God, I'm learning this. I'm learning that. It's up to us, but it's totally possible. I wonder how how much of that social media interaction that actually happens from from the team side rather than from the from the guest side because we are so focused on the guest interactions on on social media so that you know they amplify our hotel's visibility they make us famous on on digital media and we are seen and 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 we become the talk of the town but the same also happens in the social media day-to-day usage of our team and what do they post? And, and if they come home frustrated, probably because they had a clash with the boss or maybe the head of department didn't quite understand them or maybe they didn't get the promotion they wanted. I wonder how much of that interaction is now part of your day-to-day checks, you know, how much do you keep it into considerations as, as we progress and as we go back to hospitality operations? I could tell you that in Asia, I've got about 12 total years in Asia or a bit more. Right now, high tech and, you know, in everyone, everyone has a phone and here it's line group, but it could be WeChat in China or, or WhatsApp or wherever else. It's big. There's their own line accounts that talk about the good things that happened. And during this whole bad year and a half, you know, there's been concerns and frustrations and lots of emojis as things were decided upon, you know, who was being laid off and what was happening, because there was so much uncertainty. Would we reopen? When would we reopen? What does that mean? Should I stay? Should I, you know, so I, luckily I have a very close relationship with my team and I was on their group with them. And while I had to translate a lot of it, I, I did follow them and it gave me the opportunity to jump in from time to time and say, well, let me answer that, you know, not, not to infringe on, on their social media privacy but they you know we have a good relationship so it helped a lot and i think it's something we have to be aware of but equally there's they love the pictures of the sporting events you know and the team building and and the and the annual party you know so it's it is a big part of today's world and it's an important part it's a very good question what would you recommend to a young gm that starts his role uh just now i mean in 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 this very challenging times to to really approach leadership in hospitality and obviously coming from a a conversation that we're having now regarding how do you treat the team how do you keep the team motivated so what would be your recommendation to a a fresh start gm it's always going to be fabulous to work in this industry I think I said this before, but no two days are the same. You're going to meet some amazing people. COVID's here, but it's going to be gone. It's going to change. There have been other world issues. This business, if, if, if you like that feeling when the hair on the back of your neck stands up because you've surprised somebody, if you like that feeling when you've, when you've surprised someone with something that just blew them away, if, if, you, if, that, if that's what gets you up in the morning, 
You know, if you if you're a naturally guest service oriented manager and you're passionate about teaching other people, then nothing's changed. In fact, it's actually gotten better because I think the guest is going to be looking for high touch, handwritten cards, using their name, bespoke experiences, curated trips, the things that are, are fun. That's the fun part. You know, the, the payroll and the forecasting, that's, you know, that's the administrative part. But what all of us love about this business is seeing a guest smile, having them come back. Um, and that you can do that if you're creative and you're enthusiastic and you have an optimism in, in your personality and you're willing, you know, the fish stinks from the head. If a leader wants to motivate a team, they have to be out there on the front lines, I think, particularly with luxury, particularly with bespoke and boutique. Um, and, and so that first for someone new getting into the industry, you're going to see the world. You're going to learn cultures and cuisines. You're going to have a chance to make a difference in someone's life. And that's probably the biggest thing. And you see, you know, the older, the older you get, the more you see people that you hired years ago that have blossomed and grown. And, you know, it's, it's, it's remarkable. Do you think that the late, the last few months have acted as sort of like they have discouraged people from joining the hospitality industry? Well, I think the last year has for sure. I mean, the, the forecast I was reading yesterday is that um, I forget. I think a million, a million people in Thailand in the hospitality industry have lost their jobs. A million people. That's a lot. Um, it's a big number. Nine hundred and eighty thousand, I think, is is the actual number. But um, you know, it's it's a vol. It was a volatile year. The uncertainty was very difficult and hard to feed your family and. I think a big portion of those folks will come back, but I do think some won't come back. So yes, it's a, again, uncharted waters. The ones that, um, the ones that are successful in terms of human resources, human capital are going to be the ones that, that, you know, paint the picture of the journey. Why should they come back? And I think because hoteliers and companies are going to be more efficient and effective, they're going to have not necessarily fewer people, but the cross training, they're going to be more thought conscious about how to be prepared if this happens again, not to overstaff, not to have fat, you know, to be, be lean, be smart and be, be resilient, I suppose is the best word. Um, because I don't think this, anything this large will happen. Well, you never know, but I do think there'll be a different mindset. So, so that we prevent the, to the best we can, the future of this happening again. And so I think that'll help build trust in the staffing. And how much of this do you think should be communicated to, to the guest, to the travelers? Does it have to stay, you know, what happens behind the scenes stays behind the scenes? Or it can become a subject to, you know, something to talk about, something even to perhaps to, to encourage more bookings? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering I think it's a very good point. I think there's, it depends on the property. It depends on the size of the property. It depends on the level of, you know, the level of property because you have more people in a luxury higher end property um, that, that have that time to have that dialogue. I think it's a face to face type thing and, and it will organically happen in boutique properties where, you know, where there's a lot of dialogue. 
I think there is some opportunity on websites and in um, vision and mission statements for companies, slogans. Um, there is some, and I think we'll grow into that. I think right now everyone's figuring out what does it look like for me on a day-to-day basis and how is it going to go as I start to really cross-train. I mean, cross-training has always been something, but this is a little, there's probably a better word for it now because it's really merging positions, isn't it? And, um, and I think, I think there's going to be lots of opportunity and we, we, we've never been here before. So it's going to take a little reflection and, um, staying flexible. And when you look at the, the, I think you mentioned uh, in, in one of our chats before that your, especially the guest service team becomes, changes even the title. So that is this sort of like retitling in hospitality. Let's get away from uh, the old titles. Let's, let's, let's be creative. Let's also embrace what the team is actually doing today that wasn't doing yesterday. So the, the old title of receptionist or uh, guest relation or something. So you, you were saying that you have to change that and you, you have a new approach on job titles and, you know, that could perhaps describe better the role of, of that person. And at the, at the, at the boutique hotel that you're, that you're leading, you actually call them uh, host. Well, that was my first thought. I, on my morning walk this morning, I was brainstorming with my partner. And host is a little bit too general, so I haven't quite got the word yet. But okay. I was trying to rhyme things with poppies, people, poppies, this. I haven't got there yet. And that's the good, and the, that's the creative part about this. I am meeting with fellow GMs on the island this whole month, and I'm, you know, we're sharing information. What are you going to do? And, you know, I, I think the word host has also been used by some big companies. I have to tell you, my favorite company, you know, the so the, the core company has the Sofatel brand, and the So Sofatels, their sub brand, which is they're really creative. They have some amazing titles. My favorite is the Lounge Lizard. This is the person dressed very flashy in the lobby with sequins, who's like the guest relations person, but he's supposed to be like that. He's supposed to be, you know, really flashy, and it's just fun. All but all the titles. Uh, even W has some very fun titles. So no, I think it's, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I love some titles like chief creating officer, uh, chief vision officer. Right. So many. Right. And, and I think That's in right. terms of leadership uh, and we come away from hotel manager, general manager, resort manager. In fact, many people in the day to day, Travelers, they don't really know the difference between hotel manager, resort manager, general manager. For them, it's the manager, really. It's the manager. I encourage and I support recreating titles in hospitality. I think it's something long due, and we've we've need to come away with with a little bit more creativity. And not just because we want to look and sound funky, but also because the our people are doing they are different than before, right? They, they, they do different things. They take different responsibilities as well. And in terms of engagement, what they do when they come to work, also what they do when they are not at work. So you were mentioning engaging them with different activities. So I like that. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a new take on hospitality. But if you look forward and, and obviously we come out of a, of a crazy year, I'm nearly two now, and and you look forward to, to what's, what's ahead for you. What do you think 
in in the industry as not just you but in your own leadership but people in leadership today in hospitality what they, what they should not forget moving forward yes i think um i think the the biggest thing is going to be remembering that we're not going to just be able to see a waiter at a four seasons that we think is fabulous and steal him we're not going to be able to um learn about some chef at some restaurant who's got the best sushi in town and 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 encourage him to join us we're going to have to look at people in the eye and really use our common sense to find natural talent and train them i saw resistance in senior leadership across the past few months in adapting to all these new protocols and new ways of embracing hospitality many countries have given the from from government and institutions as such they have supported those salaries even during months of closures and lockdowns so in a way it was and in the hospitality industry was supported but i wonder was it enough what do you think i think it depends on where you are i think some governments are more um have better social security blankets if you will use that as a term that i think some are better than others and um that isn't necessarily something that we can change and so it's it's up to leadership to adapt to that <clears throat> i mean i'll tell you right here on samui um as i said earlier the labor is very pro employee which is wonderful everyone you know was paid out the amount they they deserved based on how many years they worked and they had enough money to go start a business but there's a lot of people whether they're you know migration people coming in to do construction work from from malaysia or cambodia and and there's a lot of hungry people but the community's really jumped in there's feeding happening every day people are putting baskets together and food together helping children helping schools i think it depends on where you are and how strong the government is and then hopefully there's a good you know a strong enough community element that people will fill fill in the gap true it it really depends on where you are operating the hotels and the resorts what right. how are the institutions stepping in what are the governments uh moving forward like doing for the industry and not only when i look at the way we are now sort of going back up onto the onto our feet and start to walk again so countries are opening borders what is the current status of uh international arrivals for thailand Uh, something very forefront in my mind Dolores we we we've done uh, several several webinars the last couple of weeks with the group I run one last night the current information is that on July 1st Phuket will open to international vaccinated tourists with no quarantine it's called a sandbox so there are some stipulations with testing um but it's fairly open it's really it's really a test case to see how that goes um and then Two weeks later, Samui will open with a little bit more restrictions, but uh, but not not so much, and that's called the Samui Plus scheme. And to your point, just before that question about you know the supporters, the vendors, the you know that's a very interesting part for me because thousands on our little island, thousands of small shops, tailors, restaurants, pancake makers, you know all these little guys, they're gone. 
they haven't just closed the door. The furniture's gone. They're gone. And they won't come back in, in that scale until there's enough volume occupancy to support them. So, you know, when guests do start to come back a little bit more than the first few months, which will be very quiet around the world, but when it starts to get some scale, there's not going to be the same vibe on the streets. It's not going to be the same amount of restaurants, shops, things to do. And that's just natural. But we have to be ready for that. And that's why I think the curated bespoke experiences, the guests are going to need some help because you can't just walk down the street and have an evening of all these choices. They're going to be fewer. And and it's going to take some time before all those little guys can afford to come back and hang their open sign up. So all these things are new and, and they take thought and they take careful planning and, again, flexibility. You work in collaborations, right, with a lot of the the tourism stakeholders on the island not only and in your in your capacity as as president of Skal Kosamui I would love to to you know tell us a little bit about more about what Skal does and in terms of bringing back you know giving back to the tourism from from an operator standpoint because your the members of Skal are coming together to learn to evolve to grow together to get better and uh, you've done a lot of work with the team especially with the latest launch of webinars Skal is um, was originated in 1932 there are 14,000 members um, right now and 350 clubs around the world began in Paris the mission vision is to be a trusted voice in travel and tourism to collaborate, to share information. There is a wonderful young skull program around the world to help those in still in college and going into the industry. There's there's a collaboration between clubs all over the world so members can visit another club when they're traveling and it's um it's a networking group really that shares information, comes together in each club and uh, and gets to know each other. How can we uh, doing business among friends is another tagline of Skull. We've been very fortunate before before we had this April um outbreak, we were able to meet on Samui and we did a lot of face-to-face seminars on social media coming out of this crisis on PR and marketing, you know, what's today PR marketing look like and, and other seminars forecasting And so we naturally moved into these webinars because we couldn't come together face to face. But that's the kind of thing that Skull does. We, we try to be open minded and think. So we started Rediscover Samui as a tagline and um, we brought influencers in for, for domestic travel first because that's all that could really come the last 18 months or 16 months. And um, our next fam trips will be with international travelers. But all six clubs in Thailand grouped together. So it's Rediscover Samui, Rediscover Phuket, Rediscover Hua Hin, etc. And Rediscover Thailand is the umbrella. And so it's um, it's evolving. It's growing. It's, it's, you know, once you start something with enthusiasm and energy, everybody wants to be a part of it. So it's, who knows where it's going to go. I love that the people, I mean, the teams of different organizations and different hotels, different businesses are coming together because they know that in that spirit of collaboration, they can improve and they can grow and they can really shape up the the way forward in a way. And I love that you call it the new spirit of hospitality. It's the spirit of collaborations, the way we work together and the way we leave a little bit that spirit of competition and and try to work more as a as a as an industry together. I love to give that different 
side of the, that different perspective to to travelers as well, but also to inform the hospitality operators. So to have somebody like you on the podcast to me inspires the travelers and informs the operator and inspires them too. So thank you. And to close the podcast the episode today, as you are in Samui and your hashtag, and we love a good hashtag and it's Rediscover Samui. Now, what are the top three things that not everybody gets to see about Samui, but you should not miss? Okay, well, one is to experience our two sister islands, Kopangnang and Kotao. If you love the sea, they're both perfect, you know, because we're all three islands. And there's amazing diving, particularly in Kotao. It's a, it's a very vegan, vegetarian kind of, I don't want to say hippie, but it's a really cool place to go. And it's a big dive community, and it's awesome. Kopangnang has its own, a lot of wellness, a lot of meditation, yoga places. Um, of course, it has the full moon parties. I'm too old for the full moon parties. But so I would do the, I would do the sister islands for number one. And part of that is really the, uh, the marine park. We have a beautiful, very well-maintained marine park that's just gorgeous. Um, another thing is to get into the mountains, get into the hills. In Thai, you say Dern Pla, which means to walk in the hills. It's beautiful here. You know, there's a ring road, but on the middle of the island, it's absolutely gorgeous. So if you're a bike rider, I mean a bicycle or a motorbike or an open air Jeep, I mean, just get out there and, and get into the green and hear the birds and, and smell the flowers It's and the waterfalls. It's beautiful. And the third thing is there's some amazing cuisine here. I mean, there's, a, there's all kinds of great one – of one of the hot spots is uh, Fisherman's Village. It's, it's where the fishermen actually lived and fished from, so it's right on the water. And they've maintained the feel of that, so all the facades are still the old teak wood. And there's little cafes and restaurants. And it's – I live right across the street, so I'm there all the time. We walk there in the morning. It's beautiful. So Fisherman's Village, the marine park, and the water, and get into the mountains. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, you got me on the diving. I'm, a, I'm so passionate about diving. So absolutely. And I think my last time in Thailand was too long ago. So it's time to replan uh, a new trip. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This was a great conversation. I think that if anything, we have probably teased a few topics that probably need a little bit more their own elaborating but and I love that and that gave me a lot of food for thoughts for future conversations and I appreciate that the the leadership the seniority the seniors of the of the hospitality industry haven't had an easy time and I want to show support to them I want to show the way that like we want to have these conversations where those listening are Probably, I want them to think, yes, that's exactly how I feel as a manager. And nobody is there to, to tell me, be strong, you can do it. You know, Because we want to always give strength and, and, and the pat on the shoulders to the team. But who gives the pat on the shoulders to the manager? I wonder. So yes, thank you so much, James. And uh, all the best for the work ahead in Thailand for the reopening of Kosamui as well. It's been a pleasure, Dolores. Thank you for having me. Rediscover Samui. <laughs> Thank you. That was quite a chat. I think I must have drilled in at least 14 questions. Poor James. But hey, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. 
Would you like to tell me what you think? Send me a review. I will link the smart link to the show notes to make it extra easy for you. Thank you once again for supporting me on this journey. I love to shine a light on the travel industry today to help you travel better, but also to help you lead a business that restores confidence in travel. See you next week.